Welcome to the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. This is episode number 10. My name is Mark Stephen Schwartz, and it is both an honor and a privilege for me to read the diaries from Allied and American civilian prisoners of war interned in and around Kobe, Japan during the Great Pacific War, World War II. We begin this episode on January 16, 1942. Charles F. Gregg. We start to get settled today, found that the building was two-story, with rooms for 16 and 32 persons, wash racks and kitchen in the rear, latrines in the back and at each end of the building. Building is wood with a stucco exterior. There's an aisle down the middle of the building dividing the rooms into two sections of 16 beds each, two electric lights in each room, and a charcoal brazier for heating. The brazier is merely an iron or clay pot, 12 inches in diameter. We were issued Japanese military overcoats made from some vegetable fiber, also go-ahead grass slippers. At 2 p.m., we were formed and the general in charge of the camp read us a speech telling us of Japan's issue and necessity of destroying the United States in order to form a new order in Asia and protect the very existence of Japan from the imperialism of the United States and England. He charged us to obey the Japanese officers and soldiers and our own officers to uphold the honor of the U.S. Navy and to be polite and get rid of our superiority complex over the Japanese. Also to learn the Japanese language so as to prepare for good relations when peace was secured and to keep up our courage and protect our health that once Japan won the war, we would be returned to our homeland. A good breakfast at nine o'clock and dinner at five o'clock half a pound of bread and soup for both meals. Food is much more plentiful here, but weather is really cold. Harold Brinkerhoff. For breakfast, we were given some more thin soup. There was a call for volunteers for KP duty. I went hoping to get more food and keep warmer. We were lined up outside and the camp commandant gave us a welcoming speech. I have a copy. He said we would have to get over our superiority complex if we were to get along here. The following is the exact text of the speech by Major General Mizuhara, Superintendent of Zensushi Prison of War Camp. Instructions given to the American Marines by General Major General Mizuhara, Superintendent of the Zensushi War Prisoners Camp, it is requested that you preserve these papers after having read them. I am Major General Mizuhara, Superintendent of the Zensushi War Prisoners Camp. Receiving you American Marines here, I should like to give some instruction to you all. You were faithful to your own country, you fought bravely, and you were taken captive, unfortunately. As a warrior belonging to the Imperial Army, 
I could not help expressing the profoundest sympathy and respect towards you. I hope you will consider how the Great East Asia War happened. To preserve the peace of the Pacific has always been the guiding principle of Japan's foreign policy, and the Japanese government conducted patiently and prudently for eight long months diplomatic negotiations with the United States, endeavoring towards a peaceful settlement, while America and Britain increased military preparations on all sides of the Japanese Empire to challenge us. The very existence of our nation being in danger, we stood up resolutely with a unity of will strong as iron under our sovereign to eliminate forever the sources of evil in East Asia. The rise or fall of our empire that has the glorious history of 3,000 years and the progress or decline of East Asia depend upon the present war. Firm and unshakable is our national resolve that we should crush our enemy, the United States of America, and the British Empire. Heaven is always on the side of justice. Within three days after the war declaration, our Navy annihilated both the American Pacific Fleet and the British Far Eastern Fleet. Within one month, our Army captured Hong Kong and the Philippine Islands. And now the greater part of British Malaya have already been occupied by our army. Singapore being on the verge of capitulation and Dutch East, East Indies too, having been suffering several surprise attacks by our landing forces since the 11th day of this month. In the Pacific arena, there's left not a single battleship belonging to the Allied powers. Above our land, there has appeared not a single aircraft belonging to them since the outbreak of the war, their air forces having been utterly crushed everywhere. Who can doubt this is the most brilliant success that has ever been recorded in world history of war? About the significance of the present war, I hope you will reconsider deeply with a clairvoyant calmness of mind that you must have acquired after the life and death struggle. Next, I should like to explain some principles as to how we shall treat you and how you should behave yourselves. Number one, though treating you strictly in accordance with the regulations of our army, we will make every effort to maintain your honor of being warriors and your person shall be fully under fair protection. Number two, you should behave yourselves strictly in accordance with the discipline of the Japanese Imperial Army. Otherwise, you will be severely punished according to the martial law. As far as Japan is concerned, number three, as far as Japan is concerned, you must do away with a false superiority complex that you seem to have been entertaining towards the Asiatic peoples. You should obey me and other officers of the Japanese Army. Number four, prejudice against labor and grumbling over food, clothing, and housing are strictly prohibited. Because we are now launching death-defying attacks on the Anglo-American military preparations in East Asia, all the nations with a unity of will strong as iron. There is not a single man or woman 
who is idling about in this country. Everyone is working as hard as possible in order to attain the aim of the present campaign. Therefore, you must regard it as natural that you should not be allowed to be loose and reckless in your living. You ought to work as hard as the people of this country do. Number five, don't be demoralized and do take care of yourselves. As long as this war continues, your present mode of living will remain as it is. In order to endure this mode of living, you should encourage each other in avoiding demoralization and taking good care of yourselves. Don't fail to hold the hope that peace will be recovered in the future and you will be allowed to return to your homes. I have ordered our medical officers to offer enough medical treatments to you in case you should be taken ill. Number six, among you officers and men of the American Marines, you must maintain discipline. Be obedient to your seniors, be graceful to your juniors. None of you must bring disgrace upon the Americans, American Navy's glory. Number seven, if you should have any troubles in your personal affairs, don't, don't refrain from telling our officers of them. With the deepest sympathy with you as captives, I and our officers will be pleased to be consulted with and will make every effort to alleviate your pain. Trust me and our officers. Closing my instructions, I advise you all to study Japanese language. I wish you to master it in the degree that you will not feel much inconvenience in everyday conversations, and I hope you will be able to establish friendly relations between Japan and America when peace is restored in the future. The End Max Brodovsky. The commanding Japanese general told us that we Americans would have to forget our superiority complex and suggested that we learn the Japanese language, as that would be the universal language of the future. Roy Henning. General speech snowing. Charles F. Gregg. They lined us up in driving snow and put this little bastard of a Japanese general up on a box. They put a red cloth on it and lectured to us. He had an interpreter and he told us how the Japanese were going to rule the world. And you bloody well better understand it and take it like gentlemen and give them the honor they deserve. Roy Henning. There were some guys, but I didn't share their feelings one bit who said every day they rehearsed it so they wouldn't forget it. These sons of bitches can't do this to me. I'm an American citizen. Well, you're a prisoner. You have no rights. That's what they told us at Sensushi when we first landed. The next day after we got there, we're standing in snow up to our ankles in tennis shoes. The general got out there and said, you must forget your superiority complex. You must give it up. I sort of took this to heart. It stood me in better stead than this constant, they can't do this to me business. Quite a few fellows said that every day. It gave them a little comfort. It turned me off. Punishment of immediate death. They use that term all the time. If you did even a little minor thing, 
the usual punishment was something drastic like death. Heard that term especially at Zensushi. We were all together when we arrived. When we left Zensushi, they made separation between military and civilians. We were all dumped in the same barracks, co-mingled, but we maintained our own little groups and identities of our own choosing. Restrictions and propaganda. Some pretty hardcore military people were running Zensushi. Hard-nosed. They told us something I remember quite a bit. You will conform to the rules and do this and that, particularly to forget your superiority complex. That's what they impressed upon you. It was a good message to give up. It was just as well that you gave up your superiority complex just because they were little brown men didn't take away the fact that we were their prisoners. January 17th, 1942, Harold Brinkerhoff. The galley is a huge barn-like building about 40 by 120 feet. There are five brick stoves holding 40-gallon open cauldrons. I help fire the stores. The fuel is coal. We had several sacks of beef bones and heads with a greater part of the meat removed. We boiled these, making stock to which we added vegetables. Charles F. Gregg. Rooms rearranged today. Military and civilians in different rooms. Pan American Airways and the cable station in room 32, and 16 civil service men across the street, or across the room, in room 31. Three meals today, 8 o'clock, 12, and 5.30. Reveille at 6.30, taps at 9 p.m. Still plenty cold and no place to bathe. No one has had a bath since leaving Guam, and we have been sleeping in our clothes to keep warm. Lots of us have the sniffles and the starts of colds. No wonder, cold rooms except one hot brazier, undernourished, ill-clothed, a few days out of the tropics, and five days in a foul hold of a ship. Rooms are also smoky from the charcoal fire. Civilian leaders, five of us, called in this evening and questioned. We were told that if the civilians had no military connection and were satisfied of this, we would be taken to Kobe and separated from the military prisoners. Bryant Sterling. Next day we were issued army overcoats with hoods. They were a lifesaver. January 18, 1942. Roy Henning. Caught a bad cold, feel punky, three meals a day, soup and rice and bread. Given tangerines, toothpaste, soap, socks, and an overcoat. Harold Brinkerhoff. I had to get up at 4 a.m. to make the cooking fires. We made three pots of vegetable soup and three of cooked barley and rice mixed. We had soup, rice, and barley, and half a loaf of bread for breakfast. For lunch, we had egg fuyong, soup with eggs in it. For dinner, we had a small fried fish and rice. Charles F. Gregg. We're getting used to the cold weather now, and there's no snow on the ground. However, flurries pass every once in a while. Food is good, soup and bread. Breakfast, soup rolled rice for lunch, 
soup, rolled rice for dinner. But plenty of the rice had soup, or plenty of the soup had rice. Slim Houston is down below us and getting on fairly well. Some fellows from the Gilbert Islands were here, came at four hours ahead of us. There is, theirs is an interesting story. One was not captured until December 25th. He said Wake was not captured and that a clipper, the Philippine clipper, succeeded in returning to San Francisco. January 19th, 1942. Harold Brinkerhoff. Soup and half loaf of bread for breakfast. Lunch, noodles with finely cut pork, tasted very good. Dinner, soup and rice. Several of us went uptown to replenish our bone supply. The butcher loaded us on a three-wheeled motorcycle with a box built on it and took us out to the slaughterhouse at the edge of town. There was a room about 14 by 14 feet piled four feet deep with bones from which the meat had been removed. Some of the legs still had the horseshoes on. We had a Marine Corps cook along. He picked out only beef bones. We loaded up a sack weighing about 100 pounds. These were transported back to the butcher shop. From there, we had to carry them on our backs. Just before we got back to camp, we came to a Japanese temple. There were three separate gates. At each gate, our guard made us put down our bones and bow. By the time we got to the last gate, we could not lift our loads to our backs. We helped each other, and the guard had to help the last man. We were pretty pooped out when we reached camp. Charles F. Craig took a bath yesterday in a Japanese bath. Only 95 people had bathed in the water before me. It was lukewarm, but room was cold. The bath was really worthwhile, and it made me feel lots better. We soaked up outside and dumped a bucket of water over us to rinse off the suds, then back in the tub, cement squares to thoroughly rinse off. Also did some clothes washing today in water not quite freezing. Two towels, shorts, two shirts, four handkerchiefs, and hung them on a wire line while the snow fell. Lots of speculation on how the war is going, what will be done with us, etc. Also grumbling and bickering over food, clothing, minor work detail, etc. It really shows up the people with weak or mean dispositions. They gave us an orange and pack of cigarettes yesterday and a toothbrush, powder, and bar of soap today. This is the first issue of soap or tooth powder since capture. We were issued nothing at all while aboard ship or at Guam. Saw a Japanese uh, American newspaper uh, yesterday and got their version of how the war is going. Uh, I think he's referring to Japanese newspaper written in English. According to them, it looks pretty bad for the U.S., Dutch East Indies, etc., they claim to have sunk the Lexington carrier and be forcing the issue near Singapore. January 20th, 1942. Harold Brinkerhoff. We had a little break in our menu. We had fish fried in batter. We had batter left over and made it into balls and fried it in deep fat. We in the galley got a little extra on occasion. We got a little sugar. 
It went real good on our rice. We had our pictures taken today. I was holding a fish just ready to drop it in the pan. I cut the picture out of the paper later. We were handed packs of cigarettes, which were taken away from us as soon as our picture was taken. Some generosity. Charles F. Gregg. Our food here consists of three meals now, bread and soup, composed of dried and green vegetables for breakfast, rolled boiled rice and soup for lunch, and the same for dinner. Occasionally, we will have a small fried fish in place of the soup. There is always plenty of rice, so there's no going hungry. Today was another red-letter day. <clears throat> they issued cigarettes, laundry soap, and a tangerine. We also did special group exercises for movie news, and pictures were taken of our galley force cooking and eating, of the Marines receiving oranges and cigarettes. A map of the Pacific Basin was posted, showing places taken by the Japanese, places where landings had been made, and places that had been bombed. An officer explained some of the recent events to us in English. The Japanese, particularly at Guam and here, are earnestly endeavoring to treat us as good as their supplies will permit. We are undergoing hardship of privation as compared to what we were used to, but we're getting as good treatment as the Japanese are able to give. Even sleeping on a straw mat is pretty good now and fairly comfortable. Most of the fellows are getting acclimated and the colds are breaking up and the general health situation is better. Some of the civilians are again questioned relevant to their history and operation of the companies that we represent. Our status as civilians appears to be accepted now by the officers and at the conclusion of inspection today, an officer said, tell the civilians they will be taken to Kobe tomorrow. Bryant Sterling. Things went well along smoothly for a few days until the Marines decided they wanted our rooms and oust us out. This was a rather high-handed deal that we did our best to prevent, but in the end we went, wound up in their former quarters, which were much larger rooms and harder to keep warm. Our only heat came from small iron pots lined with clay in which was burned charcoal. There was only one of these braziers to 14 men. We were almost always cold, and the gas from the charcoal gave us headaches after a few days. But all in all, we were much, much better off here than on the boat or in the church at Guam. Art, Bill, and myself managed to get beds together, but Don goes with another group as group leader. January 21st, 1942, Charles F. Gregg. Up in the dark at Reveille, 6.30 a.m., washed and cleaned up our straw bunks. Roll call at 7 and exercise at 7.30, then breakfast at 8. Mr. Eldridge was told at 8.30 we would leave tomorrow, and the time was later set for 5 p.m. for a supposedly 12-hour trip to Kobe. Spent a good portion of the day talking with Bland, Williams, Morgan, and Epley. The civilian leaders appointed Eldridge, Clark Eldridge, as their head and Ferry as assistant, Gus Ferry. Most of the gang are slowly getting rid of their colds, 
especially since we have secured permission to keep the windows open at night. Several of the PAA men have, however, awakened with faces badly swollen. Lots of speculation on what is in store for us at Kobe. All groups were requested to present a written testimonial on how they like the prison camp. Harold Brinkerhoff, I quit the galley. I washed all my clothes in anticipation of our move to Kobe. My clothes are black from the coal smoke and rubbing against the pots. The cold has made my face swell. Both hands are badly swollen. I have eaten a lot of green vegetables. They gave me the backdoor trots. The toilets are outside. They are like our chick sails. There is a slot in the floor about a foot wide and three feet long with a splashboard. You squat over the slot and hold on to a bar like a towel rack. The wind whistles up and hits you on the fanny. I have spent so much time there that both cheeks of my fanny have splits in the flesh from the cold and are very painful. The vegetables here are very good. The carrots are as long as a foot, reddish purple in color, and very sweet. I like the Chinese cabbage. It is mild and not a solid head. We had some put down in brine-like sauerkraut. It was very good. I like the leeks, too. They have plenty of daikon, which is like a huge white radish. It is mild and tastes like turnips. Our soup contains beef head broth, leeks, carrots, taro, daikon, and soybean cake. The bean cake is brought in layers of about one inch thick, 12 inches wide, and 24 inches long. It is sort of a gelatin in construction, but more like crumbs held together by gelatin. Harold Brinkerhoff, Dean Brunton. Zensushi was the most unhappy place. There were few comforts of any kind. We were constantly cold and pursued by an awful hunger, which was never satisfied by the meager rations of thin soup. There was no hot water, and we did our laundry at a long wooden rack in the yard. The sewage system was composed of ditches, and we supposed the place must be unbearable in the summer. At night, the guards kept a constant trampling through the building. Their cleated boots were sounding on the wooden floors. They were always ready to deliver a sound kick upon any part of a sleeping prisoner that happened to protrude into the aisle. Bryant Sterling. Now for the eats at Zen Sushi. There were three mess boys that carried in and served the grub. I was one. Once each day, usually for breakfast, we were given about a third of a loaf of bread. It was well baked and seemed to be a combination wheat and rice flour. The meals were about the same, usually a combination of rice and rolled barley cooked together as a stew or soup. Sometimes we had an acrid tasting tea, never any sugar. Some meals were fish and rice. Quite often the stews or soups had fish as their base. Many of the fellows kicked on this diet, but I liked it, mostly because it was filling and I like oriental cooking to start with. 
We always had enough to eat as there were many light eaters in our group and an average of three fellows sick all the time. One stew we had I'll always remember. As near as I could make out, it had sweet potatoes, ginger sliced, pork, boiled eggs, chinny, I don't know what that is, Chin oh, Chinese uh, cabbage, leeks and onions, taro and carrots. The sweet spuds and egg make it sweet. Ginger is a great seasoning from my point of view. It's also very good with just plain sweet potatoes. Many of our soups and stews were meatless, but bean curd and fish cakes make up the deficiency. Also, many vegetables. The food was cooked by the Navy in a separate building nearby. This building was really a huge kitchen, but very primitive. Huge old-fashioned vats were used set over brick kilns. It was a tough place to work. The coal fires never could keep it warm as the wind whistled in and out at will. Our food was rationed out in regular buckets. Across the room for us were seven Australians and one Englishman who were captured on the Gilbert Islands. Some of them ran radio stations. One was a postmaster and others were policing the island and keeping the natives in check. They had been taken to Yokohama and lodged in a nice hotel. They ate the food brought them from their, from their islands. One item that interested me was 48 one-pound tins of grade A New Zealand butter brought along as far as Yokohama. There, after a short stay, they had all their provisions taken over by the Navy, then sent to Zensushi. At first they had hopes of coming to Kobe with us, but the Japanese decided they were combatants. We had ample washrooms and toilets, but they were very primitive and the water was cold for washing. The water had to all be boiled for drinking, by the way. There were places to wash and hang clothes, plenty of room to walk and exercise. We had mass calisthenics every morning at 7.30 a.m. At a muster one day, the general tells the civilians that he is sorry that we have been detained at a military prison camp and says we will soon be transferred to Kobe. This suited us fine because there was always a chance of bettering ourselves.